0: Welcome to the On Becoming Educated podcast where I, Pa Voon, will share my experience as a first-generation PhD student. Today I'm going to be talking about grad school funding, but before I get started, I'd like to ask you to share this podcast with someone who might enjoy it. This is a new podcast, so I'm trying to get it into the ears of the people who may need to hear it most. Thank you so much. And now on to today's show. In fifth grade, once during PE, a thief went through the girls' locker room. On that specific day, Coach D had us playing volleyball in the gym, which was just one wall away from the locker room. At the end of the period, I returned to find my backpack in slight disarray. That instinctive part of me, that part that felt something was off, sent an alarm through my body. I went straight to my backpack, and sure enough, my wallet, a hand-embroidered, hand-sewn thing my mom made me, was halfway out of my backpack. As the girls around me began to change, I picked up the wallet and looked inside. Empty. Every single dollar was gone. I wasn't sure exactly what to feel as I stood there staring at the gaping hole in my wallet. Authority. The word flashed in my head. I needed to find someone with authority. I immediately went to Coach D and reported that someone had emptied my wallet. She reacted in the only way I think she knew how, with disappointment, and then by calling every girl in the PE class back to the gym to announce that I had been robbed clean. Of course, no one confessed. I honestly believe that the thief had been long gone by that time anyway. We were late getting back to homeroom. I remember sitting in the middle of class, feeling naked and small and vulnerable as I explained what had happened. I couldn't even get through the story before bursting into tears. I've been saving for months, I said in that high-pitched, whiny, slurry voice that everyone makes when they cry. My homeroom teacher didn't know what to do with me. "'Well, here,' she said, reaching into her purse for her own wallet, "'if it means so much to you,' and she handed me five dollars. "'And I took it, of course, because my own five dollars were gone "'and because it did mean a lot to me. Five dollars might not mean a lot to some people, "'but for a little girl whose eyes ate more than her mouth ever got to, "'who grew up on wick and food stamps and free school lunches, five dollars of cash meant the world.'" It meant freedom. In the end, I don't think my teacher really understood, even though she tried to make it better. This is just one story in my long relationship with money. I love and hate it at the same time. I love it because it provides security, but I hate it because I can never seem to have enough of it to feel secure. And even though I'm getting better and better at managing money every day, It still feels like money is laughing at me, and I hate being laughed at. This is why funding was one of my main concerns when I decided that I wanted to go back to school. I made myself this promise. I wasn't going back to school unless I was offered financial support at least two years of dependable financial support. And here's the key word, dependable. Many programs will offer you some form of financial support, but whether or not it's dependable can only be measured in comparison to offers from other programs and your needs. Back in episode two and in episode five, I shared that I was in a PhD program in my early to mid twenties. I didn't have any money at that time, I always like to say that I was poorer than the cockroaches that used to live in my family's kitchen. And I was lucky in that my undergraduate degree was funded through grants and a few subsidized loans. And to be quite honest, I think because of that, I wasn't prepared for the reality of how much education really costs. With the exception of books and other materials, fees and tuition were usually taken out of The financial aid before I even saw the money. So it was easy to not have to pay very much attention to how much education really cost. When I got into my PhD program, I was offered a $20,000 fellowship with tuition and fee remission for the first year. That meant the school was going to waive my tuition and fees and they were going to give me a $20,000 stipend to use as I pleased. I seriously thought that I had hit the jackpot. I had never seen so much money before, and I sort of let it lure me into this program without thinking about the longevity of the program itself. I didn't even put a budget together. I don't think I knew how. I think I was just like, oh, this will get me started, and then I'll just take out loans for the rest of the time. My idea was that I would make a lot of money after I got my PhD, and I would have absolutely no problem paying back these loans. Here's what happened. The $20,000 barely covered a full year's expenses. Split that in half and it's $10,000 per semester. The majority of that went to housing because I lived on campus and they charged upfront per semester so I didn't even see the money until the school had already taken the rent out, which is probably a good thing. I spent The rest of the money on food, materials, and I'll be quite honest here again, a bit of shopping here and there. Okay, a lot of shopping. (laughs) Plus, I was living in Santa Barbara, California, so that meant I was frequenting cafes and restaurants on State Street. It wasn't easy to say no when my classmates wanted to go out for drinks and coffee, and those things don't come cheap. By the end of the first year, that money was gone. I had no job lined up. This was in 2010, right after the Great Recession, so there were, there were very few jobs, I had nothing saved up. If I had been better with money, if I had been able to plan ahead a little bit, I could have budgeted and made that money go a little further, but I didn't have that skill at that time. So I had no choice but to take out loans my second year because tuition was due and housing payment was due and I had to get the money from somewhere. In the end, I ended up taking over $20,000 in loans, the same amount that had been given to me my first year. As I mentioned in previous episodes, I left this PhD program with a master's degree, and I know I only took out $20,000 because I found a job toward the middle of my second year, so I was able to pay for my living. I also moved out of campus housing, which reduced my rent by about 30%. I can, however, imagine how much I would have taken out had I kept going. A few months ago, I was sitting in my office talking to my boss about grad school, and I said, I totally did grad school the wrong way. Me too, she said. And I realized that there are so many of us who go to grad school not knowing enough about the way it operates. And that's one of the reasons why I created this podcast. If I could help another first-generation, low-income student who desires to further their education and to not make the same mistakes I made, then this whole podcast would have been worth it. Here's what I've learned about financial support in grad school. There's more funding out there for PhD students than there is for master's students. At least that has been my experience. Now, I'm sure there are many ways to get a master's degree without paying out of pocket, especially if you come from an underrepresented background, and especially if you want to go into a degree program that really needs you. So if you want to stop at a master's degree, I would recommend you do your research and look at everything, including programs that are dedicated to increasing the number of diverse students in fields where they're generally underrepresented. As a PhD student, on the other hand, you should expect some funding and in some cases you can expect multiple years of dependable funding. In many ways, being a grad student is a job, The school and the program you were admitted to are investing in you. They are giving you tuition and a fee remission and a living stipend, and they expect you to devote full-time to studying. So, if you have already applied to a program and have been accepted, if you're going to be a full-time student, yet you aren't getting any funding, then I would be a little worried. Unless, of course, you can afford to pay out-of-pocket. There are different levels of funding schools and programs can offer you, and it all depends on the type of school they are. The highest level of research institutions are called R1 institutions. The R stands for research. These institutions have a high number of doctoral degrees and spend millions of dollars on research. If the institution is both an R1 institution and a large private institution like Stanford, then the likelihood of it having more funding to offer you is higher. But other R1 institutions will also have a high chance of having money to support your studies. This doesn't mean, however, that you should only apply to R1 institutions. You should definitely apply to schools that are the best fit for you and for your interests and for your situation in life. If you'd like to read more on the types of research institutions, I will link the Carnegie Classification of Institutions of Higher Ed in the show notes. I wanna take a few minutes to go over the types of money that I've seen offered to grad students based on my experience. The first one I'm going to talk about is scholarships. I think most people who have gone through undergraduate school know what scholarships are, so I'm not going to go into them too much. Scholarships are money you don't have to pay back. You can win them through contests and you can win them based on merit and or financial need. The one I'm going to spend more time talking about is fellowships. I never heard about fellowships until I got one. My understanding of fellowships is that they are just like scholarships with a couple of differences. The main differences are that they're usually awarded to graduate students, obviously, and they may have some requirements attached to them. One such requirement might be to participate in a research project or a service project. Another might be to participate in events or opportunities as a member of that fellowship group. Fellowships are oftentimes paired with tuition remission, which, as I mentioned earlier, means the university is going to waive your tuition. That way, your fellowship is a true living stipend and you can use it for housing, food, bills, etc. Fellowships come in all shapes and sizes. There are one-time fellowships, which is like that $20,000 fellowship that I received for the first year of my Ph.D. program. There are one-time fellowships plus guaranteed positions, which means your program will give you usually one year of funding, and they will also make sure you get some kind of graduate position in the following year or the following years. Graduate positions include being graduate assistants, graduate researchers, readers, and graders, just to name a few of the positions. And some of these positions will also give you tuition remission so that you don't have to pay your tuition. There are multi-year fellowships that offer funding for more than one year, as you might guess from its name. Then there are multi-year fellowships plus guaranteed positions which, just as you would guess, give you multiple years of funding and they also guarantee that you will get some kind of graduate position after your funding runs out. For most fellowships, the years of funding usually come at the beginning of your graduate career so that you can have peace of mind to focus on your classes. Once you finish your classes and start doing your research, the grad positions will kick in. Fellowships can be internal or external fellowships. Internal fellowships are fellowships offered by the university and the graduate program. External fellowships are fellowships offered by organizations outside of the university. For example, a very well-known external fellowship is the Paul and Daisy Soros Fellowship for New Americans that just announced their new cohort. Fellows receive up to $90,000 of funding across two years and also a bunch of other support. I'll put a link to this fellowship in the show notes because they are open for applications right now. Last but not least, graduate students are not offered Pell Grants, and in California, graduate students are not offered Cal Grants. But certain federal loans are available. Like I said, I ended up taking over $20,000 in federal loans, which I'm still paying off. Remember how I thought I was going to make hella money once I graduated? Nope, didn't happen. I mean... I'm making money, just not the kind of money that's going to pay off $20,000 of loans that easily. Girls gotta live, you know. So if you're considering taking out loans for graduate school, I encourage you to think about it carefully. Don't make decisions based on the possibility of you making bank. Maybe you will and maybe you won't. It all just depends on the type of degree you're getting and what you're going to end up doing with it. My degree was in education and I went to work in education, so... I didn't make a lot of money. <laughs> so if I were you, I would make decisions based on the possibility that I might not make a lot of money right off the bat. In the middle of the application season last fall, I had cold feet about a school, about how maybe I wasn't cut out for it, and. One of my mentors said, you should apply and you should ask for funding. Huh, I thought, you mean funding is something that you can ask for? It was such a first-generation thought. I mean, this is going to be my second go-around with a PhD program, and I'm only just realizing that I could ask for funding. I always thought funding was something a program gave to you because they saw that you really needed it and they wanted to be nice. (laughs) With this knowledge in hand, I went into the post-application season with a completely different mindset. Instead of hoping to get funding, I was expecting funding. Let me give you an example of how this changed the way I asked one question. Instead of asking, will there be funding? I was asking, what kind of funding does your program offer? And I asked it with confidence, like, I know my worth, so what are you going to offer me? I was accepted into two programs and offered fellowships to both. I decided to go with the program that offered the highest funding package, which was a multi-year fellowship with guaranteed graduate positions. I'm not at all embarrassed to say that I chose the school that gave me the most money. I think that's a valid reason for choosing a graduate program, maybe even an undergraduate program. I know from firsthand experience how expensive a PhD program can be, and I can't afford to choose a school that is promising me great mentorship and valuable experience, but won't put any money behind it. I value mentorship and experience. I even talked about the importance of mentors in episode five, but those two things will not pay for a living, and that's just the truth. I didn't mean for this episode to sound so serious but I guess I couldn't avoid it with the, uh, the topic being money. A few months ago, I read an article in The Atlantic that said, In one of the best decades the American economy has ever recorded, families were bled dry by landlords, hospital administrators, university bursars, and childcare centers. For millions, a roaring economy felt precarious or downright terrible. I'll link this article in the show notes if you want to read it. The article is talking about the 2010s specifically, but the issues that it raises, I think, are and will be relevant to the 2020s as well. Rent is still skyrocketing, the middle class is still shrinking, healthcare is still unaffordable, and many of us will gain huge debts in order to get the education that we hope will give us a better life. And because of all of that, I think we can ask a PhD program to give us some funding. If you are a first-generation college student, if you are a low-income college student and you aren't thinking about money when applying to graduate school, then I encourage you to start thinking about money. Money isn't easy to think about because it has a lot of power over us. In many ways, it decides how we live and eat, what we wear, what we do for fun. So no, it's not easy to think about, especially when there's trauma tied to it, but it shouldn't be ignored either. Don't just brush it aside and say i'll figure it out later and definitely do not do the i'll pay it back when i'm making bank route i did that and it did not serve me well instead know your worth know what types of funding are out there and most importantly if you're applying to a phd program expect funding for listening. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcast or the podcast listening platform of your choice to be notified when new episodes are up. If you would like to support this podcast, a rating and review would go a long way. Podcasts with ratings and reviews are more likely to be found by listeners, so I would appreciate it so much if you could take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast. Lastly, you can access transcripts and show notes and submit listener questions at www.onbecomingeducated.com.